turn then in God's Word tonight to the Gospel according to John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20. Begin reading at verse 1, reading through verse 18. John 20, 1 through 18. Let us hear the very breathed out word of God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee, Lord, for this opportunity to gather once again in your house on this day, the day that thou hast risen from the dead. We read these words, and we listen to your words, and we hope that we can apply these to our lives. We pray that thou will be Pastor Bob, so that he can explain these words to us to In our lives, we can live them as you would have us live. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And amen. There's actually five things, five points. This morning, you got away with just two. Tonight, you have to deal with five points from this. But some of them go rather quickly. So, Lord willing, we'll we'll make our way through it. 
And rather than announcing all, I'm just going to go through as we do that. Before I begin, though, let me just say thank you to many of you. Uh, this, this has been a busy week for many of you as well. We were here Thursday night, many of you, for our Monday service. Saw quite a few of you at uh, the service at 7th Reform. Uh, many of you had the opportunity to join with other brothers and sisters in the OPC Friday night. Uh, uh, Pastor Steve Igo from uh, the Cedar Church uh, said there were 450 people uh, that attended that service. Uh, some of you were here early this morning and you were here for our service and now you're back tonight. Uh, you're probably beginning to feel a little bit like me, uh, a little worn out. And yet, uh, there is so much here that we can rejoice over. We can't help but continue to just long at uh, God's word to this glorious truth that is before us. First of all, then, from this passage, the occasion. There is a conversation that is going to take place here. A conversation between Jesus and Mary. That's what we want to center on. But the, the, the kind of the center point of the conversation, to some extent, hinges on, on a phrase that Mary uses. Mary says, in the midst of this conversation, I will carry him away. I will carry him away. First of all, what is the occasion upon which this statement of Mary involved in this resurrection conversation, when does it take place? Well, the passage leads us right on down through it. This is the first day of the week. It is significant. That's why we worship on Sundays, on the Lord's Day. Because it is the first day of the week. Secondly, note she went early in the day. There is a, an idea of, of she wants to get there. Now, she's not trying to get there because of the resurrection. That becomes plainly, painfully obvious as we go through this passage. She has no hope of the resurrection. In fact, she's missed announcements already. But she is early to get to the tomb to be able to anoint Jesus' body. Perhaps she feels that not enough had been done on the night that Joseph and Nicodemus laid him in this tomb. Maybe it's her, her sense of love and devotion that's just calling her that says, I gotta go, I gotta go quickly. Maybe she hasn't slept well. Maybe she has been anxious for the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, to be over so she could go. And, and she's waiting for that first crack of dawn so that she can safely find her way to that tomb. It's the first day of the week. It's early in the day. The conversation takes place at the tomb, the place of the dead. And the person involved here is Mary Magdalene. The word Magdalene, just to, to clarify once again, is not her last name. It references the town of which she is from, Magdala. It's a town to the southern shore 
uh, of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually only a few miles from Capernaum. It actually was, even at the time of Jesus, um, quite a noteworthy town. It's one that uh, Herod had built. Uh, it was full of lots of trade and activity. It was a pretty wealthy city. Uh, it was also kind of deplorable in terms of the wickedness that was taking place there as well. But it's interesting that we read of no reference of Jesus actually ever going to the town. Which, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about. He goes to little Nazareth. He goes to Capernaum. But he doesn't go to this town. That's something for us to at least think about and consider. Why would it be that, that Jesus did not go to that particular town? At least it's not listed anywhere in the gospel account. Doesn't mean he didn't, but none of the gospel writers call our attention to the town from which this Mary is. And you say, well, why do they always call, call her Mary Magdalene then? Because there are so many. If you read through even these last couple of chapters of the crucifixion and the resurrection, there are so many Marys to keep straight. This, was, this is simply one way that the Holy Spirit seeks to continually identify this particular woman. It is Mary Magdalene who says, I will carry him away. Now, there are several exchanges that actually take place in this passage. One exchange is between Mary with the disciples. Note the text. She goes to the tomb, saw that the stone had been taken away, so she ran to Simon Peter. Now, if we read the other accounts, we know something else happened. But Mary is missing. The other women go to the tomb along with Mary. They come. They're wondering who's going to roll the stone away. They look up. The stone is rolled away. Mary runs. She sees that the stone isn't in front of the tomb and runs. The other women stay there. They stay and they receive the blessing of the announcement. The Lord is not here. He is risen, just as he said. I'm see the grave clothes. But Mary is not there. She's hightailing it back into the city of Jerusalem. We know that because listen to what she tells them. She comes back and saying, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. And of course, there's probably an exchange. Peter probably says, how do you know that? Well, we were there. We, we were anointed. We were going and we were talking about who's going to roll. We got there and we looked up and the stone was rolled. And the first thing I thought of is I got to come back and tell you guys, somebody took his body. She didn't wait. She jumped, jumped to a conclusion in her grief. She thinks the worst. She immediately goes to the worst. Our brother prayed that we might receive instruction in our own lives here. And maybe, maybe this is just one of the, them for us to pause and consider. 
how often it is that, that we see something, we hear something, and we immediately jump to the very wrong conclusion. We not only jump to the wrong conclusion personally, we spread that wrong conclusion to others. They have taken the body of the Lord. Whereas, you see, if we had simply waited, we would have heard the Lord's messengers. That's one of the exchanges. There's a second exchange. This one, if you think that exchange is kind of strange, think about the next exchange. She now actually has a conversation with angels. Now, how does this transpire? Well, she went back, told Peter and John about the missing body. Peter and John run back to the tomb, leaving poor Mary to not run so fast or not walk so fast. They leave her completely behind, but they're going, so she's headed back as well. Peter and John get there. They have their, their, their moment there where they look in and see. They turn around and are running back. About the time they're running back, Mary's just getting there. Now, I know there's these pictures, okay? Please never base your theology or scripture what's happening based upon the picture. Because when you see the picture, it's like here's the tomb, and then there's this 20 acres of open space, right? That's what it looks like. It looks like here's the tomb and you could walk and walk and walk and you wouldn't find anybody. If somebody's anywhere near the tomb, you could spot them 500 feet away. Well, that's a nice artist's impression. But it's not necessarily conveying the truth of what is happening here. We got a bunch of rock piles. We got a bunch of stone hills. It's not hard for us to actually, when we see what actually is there, and we realize there isn't 20 acres of open space, this isn't Rosedale Cemetery where it's all nice and flat and laid out, that Peter and John could have ran and never seen Mary kneeling at a stone. They got one thing on their mind, get back home. But Mary, who has not yet heard a message, has not yet seen the evidence of the linen, is still outside weeping. Notice she is still missing the news. So what happens? Listen to what takes place. Mary stood outside the tomb, verse 11. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Probably had seen Peter and John doing it. They left. Maybe I should too stoop and look in. Okay, correction number two to the picture. <laughs> I'm kind of on that theme right now. She stooped. Now, the picture you normally see, it's got a hole about 10 feet tall, right? And the rock that covers the hole is about 12 feet tall. Why would Peter, John, and Mary need to stoop to go into a hole that large? 
why would you make a hole in rock that large if all you're trying to do is get a body in there to put on a ledge for it to decay? You stoop when what? When it's as not as tall as you. Jewish people are not very tall. This hole is probably no more than three, four feet. She stoops. She looks in. And the conversation ensues. She saw. Now look, listen. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, here's the conversation. Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, notice the repetition again of the same theme. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid them. Now, you've just engaged two angels in conversation. Do you notice anything strange about the text? She seems to be not at all overwhelmed by the thought of what just occurred. Her grief, her confusion, her worrying, her fretting, her love, her devotion are blinding her to not only that which is being said, but that which she is actually seeing. Because notice what she does. Having said this, she turned around. She's not even willing to listen to what two angels have yet to say. She's got her own thoughts. She's got her own agenda. She's got this all figured out, at least in her mind at this moment. Now, thirdly, she carries on a conversation with Jesus himself. Although, at this point in time, she doesn't know it's Jesus. She supposes him to be the gardener. This one she so loves, this one she is so devoted to, this one she is so concerned about, she is actually having a conversation with and doesn't even realize it. Oh, my friends, how often is this not us? We are so busy worrying about things, so busy concerned about that which we think is the truth, that we pay no attention to the realities of what God is doing all around us. We pay no attention to even what God is saying to us directly. Because we're caught up in our own problem, our own situation. I'm not saying this, my friends, in some way to disparage Mary. Because this is all of us. And, and, and it, it, it's out of a great concern. It, it's out of love. It's out of care. It's out of devotion. 
It's out of concern for our children or our spouse or family or church member. But sometimes we, we just take it so far that we don't hear God. We don't even see God at work. Three conversations have taken place. Seems to have had no effect. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now let's think about that comment, that line of Mary. I will take him away. One of the things we learn about when Nicodemus and Joseph prepared Jesus' body for burial is that they anointed his body with spices. And I believe it comes up to somewhere I read, okay, about 100 pounds is wrapped in this shroud with Jesus. Plus we have the weight of Jesus' body. Now think about Mary's comment. I will take him away. Mary knows this because she watched the burial. It's not like, well, she just thinks it's Jesus. But no, she knows this. She saw it. I will take him away. Now, humanly speaking, no, you aren't, Mary. You're... You, you were worried about rolling a stone. You are not going to carry Jesus' body away. She speaks that which is really impossible for her to do. But she speaks it out of devotion. I don't know how, how realistically she thought she was going to do this, but my, my guess is that if the body of Jesus had appeared at her feet at that moment, somehow or another she would have struggled to deal with this body. She would have exerted all the energy possible because of her love, her commitment, her willingness to serve. Jesus. Now if we, we set aside for a moment the fact that she's missing the part of the, of the resurrection, at least let's give this woman credit for being that loving, that devoted, that caring of Jesus. That she is willing to do that which is humanly impossible for her to do. Because she loves Jesus so much. Maybe it would be good for us once in a while to make statements like Mary's. In the sense of that which out of our love and that which out of our devotion for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ prompts us to desire to do for Christ 
that which we really cannot do. But our love and our commitment to him is so strong that this is our desire to do. But you see, when you think about this comment, there is also a grasping, isn't there? She's still grasping at the fact that he is dead and he needs burial. See, that's why she wants to take him away. She's going to take him away, not going hand in hand with him. She's got to lift his dead corpse. She wants to take care of his dead corpse. She wants his corpse to be anointed. want to take care of this. He needs a proper burial. It was a Rabboni. He cannot be treated with such disrespect. This isn't right. This is wrong. This isn't the way a man of Jesus' stature should be treated. And I don't think we can falter there either. Because even in our world today, there is an intensity, is there not, to bury our dead. There's an intensity about this. Think during the Civil War, even. They'd have one of these major battles, thousands and thousands of men killed. You know what they do? They basically go, time out, time out, everybody cease fire, why? Okay, you soldiers go out there, collect the dead, let's make sure we get them all. We don't want to leave anybody out there on the battlefield. Okay, everybody, go get your wagons, go get your horses, load up the dead, let's take them away. Because we want to make sure that they get back to their families. We want to make sure they get to the proper burial place. We want to make sure this is done right. Okay, everybody, north, you're done, south, you're done. Okay, start firing again. See, so intense is even our desire to bury our dead. And if you don't believe it, think of the thousands and thousands of dollars that we spend to bury a corpse. Mary's just saying, let me, let me lug them around. Something I can barely do. We're willing to pay $10,000 to deal with a corpse. Don't falter on this. This was a good man in her mind. This was a great man. He deserves proper burial. And I will see to it that it gets done. I will. Notice that. I will take him away. Not, I'm going to go back and run and get Peter and John and will together with the disciples. Not, I'll go get the other women. No, I will do this. I must do it myself. Oh. See, we're still, we're still in that works righteousness. We're still in the I have to do it. I have to do it. I have to do it. The one to whom she is speaking has said, it is finished, it is done. But she's still living in the realm of I will do it 
myself. Maybe now you begin to understand the response of Jesus. But his first response is not condemnation. His first response is not ridicule. His first response is not a reminder of her past. His first response is not a reminder of her foolishness. His first response is not, you know, Mary, if you had stuck around and listened, you'd have this all solved by now. No, what do we read? His first response, verse 16, is just one word. Mary. Miriam. In the actual text. What a word of grace. She turns. Says to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. Finally, she recognizes. We don't know why. We don't know how. Some people say, well, he, he said her name with a certain voice. He said her name with a certain inflection. He said her name with a certain tenderness. Somehow or another, I always, I, that may be true, but it, it always kind of smacks of somebody trying to make a case about Jesus in a special relationship with Mary that I don't think Scripture ever allows us to go. I think the Holy Spirit opened her ears. See, she's been refusing to listen. She's been refusing to pay attention. The word's been there. The truth is out there. He is not here. He is alive, just as he said. See, you can have all the passion in the world, but until your heart is transformed by the Holy Spirit, you're not really listening. You're not really hearing. And then something interesting happens, doesn't it, in verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. You know what I noticed when I read this? I always assumed she tried to. But not in the John account. She just said, Rabboni. Jesus said, don't cling to me. It doesn't say, she said Rabboni, and she reached out and grabbed hold of his feet to embrace him. No, she just said Rabboni. And Jesus said, don't cling to me. See, in this teaching of Jesus, he needs to remind her that the previous relationship had changed. This is not a word of condemnation. This is not a word, a disparaging word. 
This is a word of tenderness. This is a word of care. As much as Jesus saying from the cross, woman, behold your son. He meant no ill will by calling her woman rather than Mary. In fact, some of us might have trouble if a child called their parent by their first name. So I don't know why we'd assume that somehow Jesus doing it would have been more tender. Woman. To her, it's don't cling to me. A relationship needs to change. See, she had a healer. Mary Magdalene, we are told, from Mark chapter 16, verse 9, and then in Luke 8, verse 2 as well, had had seven demons removed from her by Jesus Christ. I can't imagine what one demon inhabiting you was like. I can't even begin to fathom what seven demons were like, but she understood it. She understood how her life had been terrorized by these demons. She understood how her life had been manipulated by these demons. She understood how these, these demons had tormented her day and night. And that Jesus came and Jesus delivered her. She had a healer. And oh, how she loved that healer. Oh, how devoted she was to that healer. This was the man who delivered her. This was the man who gave her life back to her. This was the man who transformed her. This is the man who rid her of those nightmares. This is the man who rid her of all of those fears. This is the man who rid her of those words that came streaming out of her mouth. This is the man who healed her. Of course she loves him. Of course she is devoted to him. Of course she wants to make sure his body is buried properly. What would you not do for the man who had healed you? Seven demons. That was their relationship. She had a teacher. See, that's the emphasis of the word Rabboni, which means teacher. Actually, it's time for a little lesson. They use three words. Rab, R-A-B, as we would spell it in English, meant teacher, worthy of honor. Rabbi meant my teacher. Notice the difference. There is a Rab. A teacher. Not mine, but he has that reputation and we honor that. Rabbi is my teacher. I'm willing to listen to your instruction. Rabboni means my great teacher. Worthy of highest honor. Mary. Rabboni. Not my Lord, not my Savior, not my King. My great teacher. 
There is a relationship, you see, that needs to change. She needs to see Jesus differently than just her healer. She needs to see Jesus differently than her Rabboni. Mary, don't cling to me. I'm not even sure if that necessarily meant physically or if it meant, Mary, don't hang on to the relationship that you saw before I was dead. Mary, I have a better relationship to offer you. Because you see, I can deliver you from seven demons, Mary, but until you know me as your Savior, you're still in danger of hell. And if you're worried about the seven, imagine what a pit full of demons is like. Mary, you have to think about me differently. I'm not your healer. I'm your Savior. I am your Redeemer. Mary, I am not your Rabboni. I am not your great teacher. Mary, I am your king. I am your Lord. I need to ascend to my Father. Where I will reign. Where I will sit at the right hand. And the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords will be given to me. Mary, I as the King tell you, go tell my brothers. Grace entered in this woman's life in a way that grace had not entered it before. Because you notice she doesn't stay and ask for some extra time with Jesus. She doesn't say, okay, I'll do that, but can't you and I just have a little chat? Mary went. See, Mary reaches the point where she understands that the relationship has changed. Not that is to diminish her love, her devotion. You see, Jesus doesn't disparage any of that. Jesus doesn't put any of that down. Jesus doesn't talk about that being foolish. What Jesus was after was a relationship. That's always what Jesus is looking for. And there comes the final question then to us tonight. In what relationship do we find ourselves with the risen Christ today? What is our relationship with him? Is it that we look to Jesus as a great teacher? Is it we look to Jesus as one who has really made my life much better because since Jesus came into my life, everything is so much better. Or is it that Jesus is our Savior? 
that Jesus is our king. Do we need to be told, as Mary was, don't cling to me. I've got a better relationship than the one you have now with me. And again, Jesus offers that tonight. All who would come to me, I would in no way cast out. If you're not in that relationship with Jesus, by his word, this is his invitation. Come. Come. Enter into the new relationship that the resurrection makes possible. My resurrection makes it possible for you to have a savior. And for you to have a king. Come. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. And God's people said, amen. Father, thank you for your word, for its reminder tonight of your call to each one of us tenderly, personally, compassionately, graciously, calling our name. Enter my rest. I'll never turn you away. Come. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that has enabled many of us by faith to grasp hold of the invitation of Christ. Father, we would pray again. There are any here tonight who know not that today, Lord, they would hear the voice of Jesus and that your spirit would draw them into a saving relationship with the resurrected King of Kings. And God's people say, Amen.